it's chai, silly, this, that. How so, funny. I'm like, nah, I need the chai. Yeah, she just doesn't want you drinking her stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I said, no, I didn't have time to even yeah. make mine. And I'd be like, what? No, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. How funny. Well, welcome. We're, we don't have actually a whole lot to cover today because in Second Timothy, we're doing just the last chapter. I didn't realize it cut off after, after one chapter and rather than start another book. Why well, I thought we would finish with Second Timothy. We did. We finished two and th- we did one, two, and three. So now we just have four. So it's all the the goodbyes and the the greetings and stuff. But I thought it's right in the middle of the holidays, so it, we don't need to be all intense. And next weekend, I am really hoping. Um, next weekend, my my brother and his family are in town for the holidays, staying with my parents, and he wanted to come out and do some praise and worship music with us. And that is that is what he's getting his degree in is is. Uh, is leading praise and worship and, and music and stuff. And oh. So when it was mentioned, I went, yes, we would like that. Come and sing with us. And oh. so, so if you know, it, depending on what he and I work out, we, we might do uh, a little bit of study and a lot of music or if, if he's wanting to just sit and sing with us. And since we, well, but all our whole year's worth of praise and worship music into <laughs> one morning. We'll make it an album. <laughs> make an album and everything. That's right. We'll record it. <laughs> A live acoustic version of everything. <laughs> um, well, he he was living here, and then they went out to Point Loma Nazarene University for him to get this degree. So they're living out in Point Loma, um, right below San Diego right now. So uh, we see them a couple times each year. Uh, but his, he, I love his I love when he sings, and he, he just sings so beautifully. And so he and I have I've been like teasing him, well, next time you're here, you know, you got to come by and sing. And so when I heard that he was wanting to do it, I went, hey, I like this. So, because I so cannot lead praise and worship because I do not play anything. <laughs> yeah, you sing well, though. Well, thank you. And I, and I enjoy singing. It's just, it's, it's I, I like to, you know, some of the stuff I'll sing with them, and some of the stuff I just like to listen. I like to listen to really good so praise good. and music and just sit, you know, and, and just enjoy it and, um, so, so I'm I'm hoping that that works out. Uh, no promises. If it doesn't, we'll have a big deep study. In the- <laughs> unless the world ends before next week. Yes, unless the dating on the Mayan calendar was off, oh, and we actually won't be here. Because <laughs> maybe they meant the world was slowly. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna fade. Slow death. Death. <laughs> I was gonna say they say music is a universal language, and and I remember one morning I woke up to. Um, my radio came on automatically, uh-huh. and then they were singing this song in Spanish, and it was just the music, the just the words. I didn't know what the words were, uh-huh. but it just caught my attention, and I stopped and started listening, and then tears started pouring oh. from my eyes. I was like, I was a Christian station. I don't even know what the hymn was. Yeah. All I knew was I was like totally That was just so beautiful, and I was like, loving it. I don't know what they but it's about God, and I can tell. That's right. How awesome! I know that it is definitely. There's different. You know, when I hear different music, and and you can, you can tell. You know, in your soul, it's like, oh, this they're praising God, and so yeah, I love that. I love that. My music brings tears, but not because it's. <laughs> when you play, it brings good tears. No, just when that. you sing when Fiona was she must have been like three months old I mean she was a little in arms baby and that girl was crawling when she was four months old so she was really little wow. and he was singing to her one day she put her little hand up over his mouth <laughs> and just did, and went <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, don't think she wants me singing to her. <laughs> now, she has told him, apparently since his head injury, um, he can sing better. So we don't know what, what was going on there. But he does sing well now. But now he's all, he's all gun shy. So I'm like, come on, sing with us. <laughs> so you'll have to sing next week. They keep telling but, that story. He's never gonna. I know. It's right? <laughs> such a so great story. Funny though, <laughs> little teeny tiny baby with her, <laughs> with his mouth going. Right. No, 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 no. no. no, no. Uh, 
It's okay. Really. Yeah. <laughs> now though, now when we tell the story, she goes, "I'm so sorry. That was so unkind. Like you were three months old. There was nothing unkind about it. It's just honest. No, I don't want to hear it." She told John brother. He was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he was just visiting, and he got up, and his hair was all wild, and you know he hadn't done his hygiene. Yeah. And she looks at him as a little girl, and she says, "Uncle Lally, you ugly in yeah. the morning." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh!" Don't say that <laughs> Shit, but he was. <laughs> what are you gonna do? And then Doesn't change it by not saying it. <laughs> his wife goes, our youngest our youngest niece is scared of uncle bill with his hair she goes uncle bill scares me <laughs> so he has to wear his hair back in a ponytail around her it's very oh funny he goes look i put my ponytail back and she goes <laughs> so okay, so we'll start Exodus thirty-seven today. Don't be bad. Nightmare causing <laughs> goodness. <laughs> you know, I want to tell you that the kids and they don't get to come too much. I'm just so sorry they couldn't come today. Yeah. But um Sylvia and Eric, uh-huh. I mean, they're all at school witnessing. That is you know, awesome. and people are asking them, "Are you oh, Jewish?" Yeah. And they were like, "I don't, they don't know how to answer that, you know." But they're immediately when they hear something or whatever. I, mean, I would just I, talking to they her. could just tell they could say, "You know what? Whether I'm adopted or not, <laughs> it's God's family." <laughs> and then they'll say, "Well, no, kind of, or something like that." Uh-huh. They're telling people about the laws in Leviticus about the pork and. That's awesome. That's awesome. I was like, you guys are awesome. You guys are something else. I I just, yeah, for a long time, when people would ask that in that context, I just say, I say, even if you're not, why would you ignore the first two thirds of the book he gave you? (laughs) It's free. It's your Bible. I'm not reading some strange book. It's not not some voodoo techno techno book. You know, it's, it's the same Bible you're reading. It's in there. Erica said one of her friends, her little friend said, I want to be Jewish. Like she was just she's just been talking about the things that she's been learning. Tell her to bring her. I want to be Jewish. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, well, yeah, today we're going to read about all the stuff Bezalel did with his great inspired gift of of art. And we're we're heading into that section of, of the Torah where it's, so much detail over and over and over again, and yeah. and you know, not quite to the sacrifices with the the kidney fat because <laughs> we went like three weeks when we were doing it before, and we were doing bigger chunks. So we'll probably go like three months now, or every every day we're like, and the fat from around the kidney, and the the and the fat. <laughs> we're joking that it was like a drinking game, you know. We said it so much that it was like. Take a shot. <laughs> Jewish wine. Jewish wine is a little less intoxicating. Very grapey, uh, <laughs> or blackberry y depending. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of you know we've we we've, we've read we've read um, you know here's what God showed him and told him to do, and then we've read here's what he told everybody we're going to do, and now we're reading we're doing it. <laughs> But the Must neat, though, that's right. And the neat thing about it is, you know, anytime someone comes to me with something that is obviously biblical based on this verse, I step back because God himself said out of the mouths of two or more witnesses. Mm-hmm. So if I see something one time in scripture and that's the only place I can find that idea, I generally assume I'm misunderstanding it. Because God doesn't say things just one time. He repeats himself. He says it at least two or more times. He knows his children need repetition. That's right. That's right. He, he knows how he made us. You know, which kind, of, which kind of gets me, you know, with parenting, because, yes, it would be very convenient to say things one time and have it happen. 
But if God doesn't even do that to us, and, you know, if God doesn't have that expectation on us, why would we think that we could possibly have a realistic expectation of that for little children? That's your answer. There you go. You got to repeat, repeat. In fact, when we lived in Hawaii, <laughs> I was ready to like and you're, bang my head against the wall until it bleeds. Well, when we lived, I got with two men because all I have. I know why you had that crazy face all the time. <laughs> when we lived in Hawaii, one of the women. Oh, Hi. Hi. Can we help you? Yes, uh, we're, we're out here in the morning. Yes. My wife. Uh, she just got. She just got out of the, the hospital. They had. She was supposed to have a golf bladder surgery. Right, was, right. Uh, on January 3rd, they did her testing, and she had an attack a lot worse, so that we had to take her Thursday night. Uh-huh. And she's, but could you just use your bathroom? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, absolutely. okay I'll, I'll help her in this. Yeah, no problem okay. at all. Okay. I was hoping the children weren't being too noisy out no, there for oh, you. They're, they're just fine. Okay, okay. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, you know, so, so when I see an idea and it's new, you know... New ideas are exciting, but when I see an idea that is completely new, I, I stop and I go, let's see if it's anywhere else, you know? And, and, and it's one of those things where when, when people are hyper-focusing on, well, what does, this verse says this, so clearly God's telling us all, bam, this, and I'm like, Yes, in the context of everything else, we have sometimes God says something and we have to temper it with the bigger picture or, or you know, this came up in the, with the divorce stuff. And it's like, you know, yes, God hates divorce. That's not the only thing the Bible says about it. You know, you can't take that statement and make it mean things it isn't saying. And, and so when, when I run into those ideas, but when I, so when I come across something and God and I, and I see even on these things that, I yeah, yes, building his tabernacle, uber important, okay? I like, like top line important. And, and so I get why he's saying it repeatedly, but he was saying it repeatedly and having it recorded, knowing that we would get it, and we're not building the tabernacle. You know, we're not engaged in, in doing this. We're reading about it being done, and he, he made sure that it was recorded a minimum of three times. And I think that tells us something, not just about the tabernacle and its importance, but about the character of God and how he teaches us. And so when I'm reading things, I want to see, see a clear idea of that, a clear picture of that in at least two different sections of scripture before I'm going to give it a lot of weight. You know, I might go, here's an interesting idea to, to start discussion because I want to know if anybody else finds it anywhere else. You know, if something's new to me and I'm like, well, this is a new idea. Any thoughts? It's because I want, you know, I'm waiting for somebody to come back and go, you know, I encountered that over here too. And then I can go, wait, maybe there are two times. Maybe this is something that I've missed before. And then sometimes people go, well, you know, what about this? Or no, I haven't found any. <laughs> okay, so maybe it's just an interesting idea. And that's all there is to it, and let's move on, and it doesn't have to change anything. But when I see it three times, I'm going, yeah. Or the author just needed to fill in some space. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or the translator, you know. But sometimes there will be things that I'll read it, and I'll go, oh, that clearly means. And then I go back and I look up Liam and I for, for uh, one of his assignments with, with a science curriculum we were working on. Uh, and it was talking about archaeological, like different archaeological standards. So when talking about literature, it was talking about um, the Bible and and dealing with issues of people saying that it contra either contradicts itself or it has different different stories. And so one of the examples that that they had us go research was where in in one piece of the text we're told that Judas hanged himself, and in another piece we're told that he fell on his sword. Well, up until the mid 1870-ish, the phrase hanged himself was applied to falling on his sword because he, you would fall, like when you fell on your sword, you kind of hung there before you slid down it. So it, it's, the translator was properly expressing fell on his sword with the phrase hanged himself. But we read it and we think of a noose and the gallows and, and we have a whole different, that's not the text's fault. 
It's not even the translator's fault. It's just one of the things that we have to deal with with reading, you know, a couple it's, times removed. It's the time context. Yeah, yeah. And and our modern our modern mind, you know, trying to understand. Yeah, because didn't it say his bowels came out? So it's, yeah, but people be like, he hung I guess it's yeah, people say he like hung there for so long that he rotted. And because I used to wonder how, is, how yeah. did he spill out if he was hung? Right. It should have stayed intact. So then when you said hung like that, yeah. I like, oh, I can see how that could Yeah, happen. and that's where we go. And it is there two times. It is in two different parts of the text that we have that information. So it's not just, you know, it's not just a, and we have to properly understand the words, <laughs> but it, the picture is there twice for us. So we're going into, like, at least the third discussion here. But Bezalel made the Ark of Acacia Wood. Two cubits and a half was its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold for its four feet, two rings on its one side and two rings on its other side. And he made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold and put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. And he made a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half was its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And he made two cherubim of gold. He made them of hammered work on the two ends of the mercy seat, one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat, he made the cherubim on its two ends. And, and I love that this, you know, that, that this is God's throne. So anytime there's a reference to seeing God sitting on his throne, this was the earthly representation of what Moses saw in the throne room of God. This was where he was going to sit in the tabernacle. So even when you move into Revelation, and it's talking about being in the throne room of God, we can picture it. We don't have to go, I wonder what it looks like. You know, well, this is what it looked like. <laughs> and the mercy seat with gold. And the, you know, verse 9, the cherubim spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, with their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat were the faces of the cherubim. He also made the table of acacia wood. Two cubits was its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made a molding of gold around it. And he made a rim around it and a handbreadth wide, or around it a handbreadth wide, and made a molding of gold around the rim. He cast for it four rings of gold and fastened the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the frame were the rings as holders for the poles to carry the table. He made the poles of acacia wood to carry the table and overlaid them with gold. And he made the vessels of pure gold that were to be on the table, its plates and dishes for incense, and its bowls and flagons with which to pour drink offerings. He also made the lampstand of pure gold. He made the lampstand of hammered work. Its base, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, and its flowers were of one piece with it. And that's, that's just amazing to me. And there were six branches going out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side of it, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side of it. Three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on one branch, and three cups made like almond blossoms, each with calyx and flower on the other branch. So for the six branches going out of the lampstand, and on the lampstand itself were four cups made like almond blossoms with their calyxes and flowers and a calyx of one piece with it under each pair of the six branches going out of it. Their calyxes and their branches were of one piece with it. The whole of it was a single piece of hammered work of pure gold. And he made it seven lamps. You're very welcome. I hope you feel better. And... That's awesome. I remember having the surgery, and I felt so much better afterwards than I did before. Oh, probably a week. They said it would take two or three days, but I, I maybe for Superwoman, not for me. Yeah. Yeah, rest, don't push it. You'll, you'll know. Don't push yourself because of some timeline that you think you should do. Just recover. Um, and he made it seven lamps and its tongs and its trays of pure gold. He made it and all its utensils out of a talent of pure gold. 
He made the altar of incense of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit, and its breadth was a cubit. It was square, and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it. He overlaid it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns, and he made a molding of gold around it. And made two rings of gold on it under its molding on two opposite sides of it as holders for the poles with which to carry it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. He made the holy anointing oil also and the pure fragrant incense blended as by the perfumer. Going into 38. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length and five cubits its breadth. It was square and three cubits with its height. He made horns for it on its four corners. Its horns were of one piece with it and he overlaid it with bronze. And he made all the utensils of the altar, the pots, the bowls, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the fire pans. He made all its utensils of bronze, and he made for the altar a grating of a network of bronze under its ledge extending halfway down. He cast four rings on the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze, and he put the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar to carry it with them. He made it hollow with boards. He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. What a cool little detail that the basin was made of the mirrors, the bronze mirrors of the women who ministered at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That is so cool. Because no, I don't think anywhere else, are, have. I mean, at least we haven't so far been told specifically where specific things came mm -hmm. from. You know, I mean, we know certain things were made from the earrings of a bunch of people or whatever, but, but wow. they took their, their mirrors. That and women were ministers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Really? That must be a mistranslation. <laughs> well, what would that mean, ministered in the center? The or entrance of the tent of meeting. That, that they were probably devoted to living there and taking care of people who, oh, okay. who brought their needs to the tent of meeting. Okay. And, and they were probably serving in a role like deacons would in a church today where they were, they were the ones who did, you know, took care of the people who came. Okay. And, and, uh, now, this guy had a crew of people that helped him do all this, right? Yeah, he had all of the people who were in, who were inspired by God with the ability to do these these crafting things. He oversaw them all. Um, Boy, that would be a job. Mm -hmm. yeah, overseeing a bunch of artists. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> but but it's yeah you know so it's all coming together and and also keeping in mind I love the fact that this means this basin of bronze the fact that it was bronze that was being used as mirrors means that when you look into the basin to, to purify yourself before going to the altar or when you come back, you're met with your own reflection. Because when, when it talks about them going and purifying themselves, um, it's, the physical side of that involves washing, but the spiritual side involves examining yourself. And so when you go to do this and you lean over and, and you're met with, the physical, you know, examining yourself and seeing your reflection and who am I as I'm about to go to the altar. You know, they, they were actually looking into mirrors. And, and I think that's a really powerful image and probably part of why we're specifically told, you know, what this was made of. But because it's not just pounded bronze or it's not just, you know, it's not bronze that they pulled off of some guy's shield or, or something. It's actual, you know, the looking mirrors. I think that's cool. And he made the court. For the south side, the hangings of the court were of fine twined linen, a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars and their twenty bases were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillet, uh, fillets were of silver. And for the north side, there were hangings of a hundred cubits. Their twenty pillars, um, their twenty, their twenty pillars, their twenty bases were of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And for the west side were hangings of fifty cubits, their ten pillars and their ten bases, the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. And I don't know if it's supposed to be fillets or fillets there, but I feel like when I say fillets, I'm thinking of fish, and yeah. so I'm really not sure. <laughs> Any, anyone with metalworking who would like to let me know, I'd be happy to say it right. <laughs> 
So, and for the front to the east, 50 cubits. The hangings of one side of the gate were 15 cubits with their three pillars and three bases. And so for the other side. <coughs> on both sides of the gate of the court were hangings of 15 cubits with their three pillars and their three bases. All the hangings around the court were of fine twined linen, and the bases for the pillars were of bronze. But the hooks of the pillars and their fillets were of silver. The overlaying of their capitals was also of silver, and all the pillars of the court were filleted or filleted with silver. And the screen for the gate of the court was embroidered with needlework in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It was 20 cubits long and 5 cubits high in its breadth, corresponding to the hangings of the court. And their pillars were four in number. Their four bases were of bronze, their hooks of silver, and the overlaying of their capitals and their fillets of silver. <clears throat> and all the pegs for the tabernacle and for the court all around were of bronze. This would just be so beautiful. Just absolutely astoundingly beautiful. These are the records of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, as they were recorded at the commandment of Moses, the responsibility of the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And with him was Aholiab, the son of Ahisamech, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer and embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Um, just as a little historical note that I think is interesting, apparently the idea of uh, weaving, as we understand it now, where they would weave together cloth, um, some anthropologists and archaeologists have suggested that in, in ancient times, they really did not have that technology, and any time it references um, weaving or embroidering, that it was actually talking about knitting. Thanks. I find it fascinating. <laughs> and, and so, so they were they were you know weave, knitting together all of these things, and um, I think that's cool, especially having done the giant project I just did and realizing how much time it took. I'm like, oh, I'm in awe. I'm in absolute awe. So all the gold, especially when they couldn't make mistakes because this was God's tabernacle. You know, I can make mistakes and kind of weave them in and hide them or you know, even them out. <laughs> They're like, nope. That's right, specific. So verse 24, all the gold that was used for the work in all the construction of the sanctuary, the gold from the offering was 29 talents and 730 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. The silver from those of the congregation who were recorded was 100 talents and 1,775 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. A becca ahead, well that's half a shekel by the shekel of the sanctuary, for everyone who was listed in the records from 20 years old and upward for 603,550 men. The hundred talents of silver were for casting the bases of the sanctuary and the bases of the veil. A hundred bases for the hundred talents, a talent a base. And of the 1,775 shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their capitals and made fillets for them. The bronze that was offered was 70 talents and 2,400 shekels. With it, he made the basis for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar and the bronze grating for it and all the utensils of the altar, the bases around the court and the bases of the gate of the court, all the pegs of the tabernacle and all the pegs around the court. Now when you said, everywhere when you said fillets, uh -huh. mine said bands. The bands? So, so it's basically wrap around bands. I know how to say bands. I wish mine had said that. <laughs> That'd be a lot easier. That was a lot of gold and silver and bronze. A whole yeah. lot. And, and, you know, a whole talent per each of those things. I mean, there, there was no skimping. It was not teeny tiny little. And most well, of this is from what they brought from Egypt, huh? Yeah, all of it. Wow. All of it would have been, and and you know, to the point where they were told, "Stop bringing. We have we have more than enough. We're good." We have six hundred three thousand men. Yeah, and all their women and all their children. Yes. Yes. Wow. 
and any slaves they brought with them, and any, any, I mean, there, that's a lot of, lot of people. So, and that was just the men that were 20 and over. Right. So, yeah. So, 2 Timothy, chapter 4, you know, and, and finishing up our, our book of 2 Timothy, you know, with, with the whole point of this book having been... Um, basically how, how leadership in God's kingdom is supposed to deal with troublemakers. I mean, that, that's really what it is. You know, how, how to set boundaries with them, how to love them, how to let them, you know, give them enough rope to hang themselves, how to, you know, trust that it will all work out and, and not, not feel the need to jump in and defend yourself and not feel the need to jump in and fix it, but also not feel the need to jump in and try and placate and make them happy. And and it's you know it's not it's not an easy thing, but Second Timothy chapter four chapter four yes. So he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Messiah Yeshua, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching so even when we're reproving and rebuking it's supposed to be done with patience and with the goal of teaching it's not supposed to be calling somebody out because they're wrong it's supposed to be helping someone see what is right you know it's when we focus on when we focus on what they're doing wrong there, there's a great there's a great saying that um, I don't know who the original sayer of it was, but um, what we focus on, we get more of. And uh, I, I know I first encountered it in the book, uh, Becky Bailey's Easy to Love, Difficult to Discipline, because what we focus on, we get more of. If we're focusing on the negative, we're going to see the negative. If we, if we focus on, and if we're focusing on always, you know, rebuking, 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 then we're going to see everybody who needs to be rebuked. But if we're focusing on patience and teaching, when we rebuke, it will be in that way for that purpose. And so, um, you know, I, the idea of speaking the truth in love, you know, that doesn't mean I love you, so I'm going to have to come down hard on you and speak some truth. It's the context of love is what gives me the opportunity to speak into your life about this truth you need to hear. Because without that love, there's, there's not that trust. There's not that willingness to hear. Then it's just, you know, that, without love, it's the clanging cymbals and the banging gong. <laughs> so this is kind of that same thing. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And also keep, you know, and, I, and one of the things that I keep in mind with this, especially in a position of, of teaching, it's, when it's not your rules, you know, if, if I, let's say, you know, if, I, if I'm in a situation where I see, you know, any of you doing something that's spiritually dangerous, you're not offending me. It's not my rules. So if I were to go to you and be all, you're doing this, for what end? So I'm able to say, you know, these, this is between you and God, but I'm in a position here to speak to you about it. So it's not, it's not a personal thing. And, and I think that's one of the things he's trying to, to point out to Timothy. With complete patience and teaching, because it's not about you. You know, you don't get to be offended that they're doing something. Take yourself out of the equation. So he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, this, this it is, and yet I, I get so frustrated at the number of times that anytime, anytime someone is teaching something that someone doesn't want to hear, this verse gets thrown out. You know, oh, you're just listening to them because you have itching ears and want to hear that. And it's like, oh, come on. You know, it's 
This is this is talking about you know actual false doctrines, actual things that that are are twisting scripture or are just trying to appease people, and and this doesn't mean. I really like this. I really like and agree with what this person is saying, and I see it in the scripture. And I disagree with you. Doesn't mean I have itching ears. <laughs> you know? It means I actually have researched this and don't agree with what your guy's saying, or what you're trying to argue. I'm in agreement over here, and and so it's really, it it's the, I've seen this this verse so misused, and yet there are a lot of of churches now that are changing their doctrines. Because people don't want to hear certain things, you know. I I I know of churches. There was what a church in the valley for years, and I, I don't know if it's got the same pastor or the same board. But the pastor had told us that he was not ever allowed to talk about sin or hell, because if he did, the giving went down the next week. Oh my goodness! So the board didn't want him talking about those things. Wow. They wanted everybody happy, so they would give more. It's always that, about money. Yeah. That's it, yeah, and that's itching ears. That's you know telling people what they want to hear, you know, and and God has saved you from yeah, God has <laughs> saved you so that you can give, you know? <laughs> and give more, <laughs> and so so you know people, and there there is sometimes you know people will say, well, you know, this is my situation in life, and would I be welcome at your church? And I'm like, you know, you would absolutely be welcome. I'm not going to change the Bible that we read, and you might encounter God saying some things about what you're doing that will make you uncomfortable. I'm not going to not read them. I'm not going to skip them for your comfort. But we should all be having things that we read that make us uncomfortable. We should all be encountering in the text the things that speak to the things we're struggling with or, or things in our life that we find ourselves going, oh, I didn't know he said something about that. You know, and, and itching ears would mean that we just, we're just going to skip ahead. <laughs> I don't want to read that. But if we're, if we're really listening, we're going we're gonna, to. But the idea also of miss, he's really talking about, you know, he was talking specifically in, in the first uh, letter about um, Gnosticism. You know, people turning to truly false doctrines, pagan doctrines. And, and justifying them with scripture. So he says in verse 5, he says, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So keep your, keep your eye on the prize, keep focused. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. The faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Um, now the idea of crowns, we, we encounter that in, in Revelation where the bride is being given a crown. And Paul actually talks about a couple of specific, I think there's like three, maybe four specific crowns he mentions. And it is, it is Jewish tradition to give the bride a crown on, on the wedding day. And in Revelation, what we see is the bride is casting it back down at the feet of, of the bridegroom. Um, but if there is any kind of reward in heaven, these specific crowns will, you know, are what it's talking about. And when he talks about you know, get, um, storing up for yourself treasures in heaven and... and and there is this concept of crowns, but it's of righteousness. It's for, it's for enduring in the face of things. It's for suffering, you know, for your faith. It's, it's not for, um, you know, putting on a show. It's not, it's not like a popularity contest and, and the other Christians don't get to vote on it. It's not, you know, yes, that person did more for me than anybody else. I think they should get a crown. You know, it's, it's not, you know, it's not a beauty pageant kind of a thing. It's, you know, this is Miss Congeniality. And it's, it's for suffering. It's for enduring. It's for, it's for, you know, this, the crown of righteousness. Um, and, and he says, not only to me, but to those who have loved his appearing. You know, it's it, this is going. Hold out to the end. These are these are the things that are awaiting us. These crowns that go to the bride. 
these these things that are gifts from the bridegroom are the things that that we're supposed to be focusing on. And so he's telling him, you know, don't worry about what what's going on. You know, in, endure the suffering of the people who have no actual say over your destiny and your eternity. Focus on that crown of righteousness. So he says in verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. For Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And, and this is another one of those sections where I go, you know, the idea of don't talk about people at all can't possibly be the definition of gossip that Paul says to avoid. Because he says things about people. And it's one of those, if you don't like what the truth is, change the truth. If Damas doesn't want everybody to know that he deserted Paul, he shouldn't have deserted Paul. You know, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have loved this present world more. Because here it is recorded for all time. So, so he's, he's deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. <laughs> I love the practical side of Paul. Could you bring my coat? <laughs> I forgot my coat there when I was there, and I would really like it. And my books, too. And my books. And that part, bring the, all the parchments. Just bring all of them. <laughs> I thought I'd be getting back sooner. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carpus, I left them with Carpus. Go get them. That could have been where he stayed while he was there. It could have, yeah, it could have been. I left them with, and maybe Carpus needed them, but I thought he'd have his own cloak by now. So could you go just grab it for me? <laughs> I'm here to collect his stuff. Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, I thought he left that. <laughs> Was a gift. Oh well. A year and a half, really? That's right. <laughs> I, I think it's here somewhere, maybe in a closet. <laughs> it's in the wash. So going verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Wow. Just a side note. Yeah. There, there's Everybody no, just pooped on his parade. Didn't <laughs> yeah, Paul. I mean, and here he is suffering. He, he's been abandoned by people. He's been wronged by people. And, and to me... And he still hung in. These are the... Yes. And that, I think, is part of why this is included to Timothy. Because he's telling Timothy, you know what? Endure the suffering. People are treating you like garbage. I get it. And, and he's saying, I get it. I was abandoned by this guy. This guy wronged me. I'm leaving it to the Lord to take care of. It's not my problem. And weren't all these people with him, with Jesus? A lot of them were, and some of them came along afterwards, but they, they joined in with the ministry, and then they got distracted, or they got annoyed, or they, they you know, went off on, on this or that endeavor, or thought this was the direction that the ministry should be going, and I don't agree with Paul. Paul wasn't with Jesus. But, but, but he, he, well, he probably was, just well, he not was, as a follower. Yeah. <laughs> he was there witnessing it. He was seeing everything, but he was, he was with the, he was on the... You know, and some have speculated he may have been at the at the trial. He may have been involved in in a lot of the persecuting that went on up to that point. You know, but some of these, you know, a lot of these people. When, a lot of times when you go into ministry, um, you know, in, in everything that happened right before we started the congregation, I I had said to to our, our former rabbi, as it was happening, I said, okay, so basically you're ready to go into full-time ministry when someone nails you to a cross and you're able to get down and keep going. <laughs> He's like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, because you get attacked and you get, you know, you get, we don't think, we don't think it should be done this way or we don't like how you're doing it. And people, okay, go do it your way. You know, and, and to it sounds, and it's probably partly how I read, the Lord will repay him according to his deed, but you have to turn it over to the Lord. You can't carry that around. I think that's what Paul's trying to show Timothy. These people have done me wrong. Do you think I let that stop me? No, I keep going. Because that's not about me. That's about them, and God will take care of them. Or am I have to do the next line where he says, beware of him yourself? Yes, <laughs> yes, and I'm warning you, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. 
You know, watch out for Alexander. He's a backstabber. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through the message, through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prissa and Achaia uh, and the household of Onesiphorus. I feel like that should be said much more eloquently than I'm accomplishing it. Um, and he says, let's see, because uh, she has in here greet Prisca. So whether that is the Priscilla and, a, and Achaia that, uh, and that's just a nickname for it, I'm not sure. Um, but he says, Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. So we've just been told the people who've abandoned and wronged and, and watch out for Alexander. He's a backstabber, and he's going to give you trouble. You know, but, but these, these people, greet these people. And, the, and he only left me because he got sick. It was not... You know, he didn't abandon me because of anything. I left him there because he wasn't well. And and try to come soon. And these people are still here with me, and they send you greetings. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So that is our second Timothy. Thoughts, questions, ideas? I, I have one, but... <laughs> what we just did. That's okay. I was reading, so I was uh, curious about something. Um, the people that are in Israel right now, mm-hmm. are they all from the tribe of Judah? No. Okay, they Judah and Manasseh, or what? What? Who, what are, okay, they one of basically when the dispersions went on. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the time of the prophets and, and people were sent out and then brought back from Babylon and um, there were we encounter in the New Testament people from all the various tribes different people had gone down to live in the area of Judah and Benjamin, people who didn't agree with what was going on in their areas that had lived closer to the temple and even when they were taken off into Babylon there are still people who were left there so, so there, and we, but we encounter, as you read through the New Testament, you know, this person from the tribe of Asher, this tri- person from whatever tribe. So there's all different tribes who knew where they were from. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get, it, but, but primarily, it, the southern kingdom was the tribes of Judah and Benjamin. Okay. Okay. When you get into them being sent out after the destruction of the temple and in the, you know, the first couple hundred years, um, you know, really solidifying things by 300 A.D., that, that particular time in history um, for, the, for the diaspora, um, you end up with most of the people who knew they were of Jewish descent being from the tribe of Judah and Benjamin still, but not all. And you also find historically that there are different groups who had been from the northern kingdoms who went to different parts of the world and maintained their identity. They knew who they were. They okay, knew that they were from different tribes. All right, because I was watching a segment on TV about Ethiopian Jews. Mm-hmm. And they, they, as long as they've been in that part of Ethiopia where they are, they have been keeping... Yes. The yes, the, the Ethiopian Jews festival. are a fascinating, fascinating group. Yeah, so I'm wondering, and, and this has been going on, so mm-hmm. what they were asking on television for people to donate money because they very much want to go want to go back to their land. Right. One of the... For them. I just had random thoughts. Sorry. What was it? Ethiopia was the only country that Europe didn't take over when they took over Africa. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only, yes. Yeah. Ethiopia is the only country that was never 
Yes. They were taken over by a, by a boring How were they able to resist that? Well, well and, and in the prophets. That's awesome. Well, and in the prophets, we find that, that one of the one of the very specific prophecies that ha- of things that happened before the coming of the Lord is that the people from Cush return to Israel, and Cush is Ethiopia. And and I don't know what the current standing of it is, but I know that there is a very large group of Messianic um, Ethiopians yes. who are, as the last that I heard, living basically on the sides of the roads outside of Jerusalem yeah. because they are trying to make Alia and the Jerusalem Council is really frustrated because they're acknowledging you are Jewish, you have a right to land, but you are claiming that you worship the Yeshua as God, and if you would just renounce him, we would give you land, but you won't renounce him, but you're entitled to land, and they don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. Oh, so they worship a different God? No, they, well, they worship, they're, they're Christians. They, I mean, they're, they worship Yeshua, but they worship as Jews. And so they're acknowledging, you are Jewish. We acknowledge that. And you are entitled to make Aliyah. Mm-hmm. Now renounce this Jesus, and we'll be good. Really? And they're like, we are not renouncing. Wow. We are Jewish, and we want our land. Now, how did they get it about Jesus? And- well, it was, it was interesting because I, I heard one of the leaders of the community talking, and, and he, was, he was saying that um, they, they were Ethiopians. And, and it, within this church that existed there, they had been worshiping Jesus. Well, when they started putting it together, that they knew that all of the Ethiopians were, were Jewish. And, and so when they realized that that prophecy was speaking of the people from Cush, they were like, oh, this is us. They're like, this, they, they realized that that prophecy was saying when, when the pe- was speaking of when the people from Cush, who are Jewish, who know who Messiah is, figure out that this is about them. That's, what they, that's how they understood it. They're like, oh, when we figure out that this is about us, we're going to go home to Israel. And so they did. <laughs> like, they knew they were Jewish. They knew they were believers in Messiah. And then they found that verse and went, oh, this is to us. So they, they headed to Jerusalem. And so now there's a lot of ministry that's going on to helping them dig wells and have, you know, hide. Because they're like, we will sleep in our tents. We will live outside the walls of Jerusalem until you acknowledge us and give us our land. So and they're just living there. What are they called? Are, are they actually called just, I mean, because, okay, if you have just a couple of tribes that's, and maybe some stragglers uh-huh. in Jerusalem, so the other people, the other ten tribes or whatever, are they no, are they Jews? They are. Per yes. Se, or are they? Cause yes. Jews there's a lot of controversy from that tribe. Right, like, and there's a lot of writing or? that argues that the uh-huh. problem is okay. within the Jewish community, it has never specifically meant the tribe of Judah, uh-huh. and all the way back to the book of Esther, uh-huh. um, it, it says that he. I forget who he's a descendant of um, off the top of my head. It says you know a descendant of. I want to say Benjamin. But I think he's Benjamin. I think he's Benjamin. And then it says, a Jew. And so because Judah was um, the one through whom Messiah would come and he got the blessing of the firstborn, all of the tribes fall under the heading of Jews. And so what bothers me with a lot of modern, especially messianic writing, is this desire and this in- intense endeavor to try and distinguish and, and try and draw these lines that yeah. are there historically mm-hmm. for certain aspects of things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I don't believe really have the implications that the people writing about them are trying to make. So the, when you, they use the word Hebrew, are they just talking about the Jews? Is it an interchangeable word? Or are they talking about... It depends on who's writing... 
if they're trying to make distinctions, then then I you know I have to, I have you have to figure out what distinctions they're trying to make. Okay. Um, sometimes they'll say the Hebrews meaning everybody, everybody and then they'll mean yeah. they'll say the Jews meaning the tribe of Judah. Right. But when you in, in in scripture when it talks about the Jews, unless it specifically says from the tribe of Judah, right, it means any and all of them. And and a lot of them, some of them scattered and lost, and that's why you encounter lots of people who are like, oh, I just learned that my grandmother was Jewish, or I just learned, you know, and, and the new blood tests now, they can actually tell that you have Jewish blood from yeah, this that. part of, of Russia, where this tribe settled after they left in, I mean, it's amazing what they can figure out because of the different lines and what they've been able to genetically determine. Um, but a lot of people, it's, it's, when you read through history, it's also really fascinating because knowing that the tribes were scattered, when you, any time Hellenism, any time Western culture went into a different community, you read about them doing very specific things. So when, when Western ideas got into Russia, they were forced to cut their beards. Um, and do several other things that were uh, basically things that, that the Jewish people would not have done. And so they had kept these traditions when they got into Russia, and when Western culture got in there, those were the first things they made them change. And so you can see that, that these things were maintained until, so it, it's definitely an East versus West thing going on. Um, but you can see that as people went out in these different directions, they kept, you, you can tell that they were, they were primarily Jewish or at least were influenced by the Jewish people who settled there because of these traditions that they were keeping. So the Ethiopian I believe they do. I believe it's been a while since I've done reading on them, but. I think I think that they do, but I would have to. I would have, like I said, it's been a long time since, several years since I've heard updates on that. So, but yeah, it's it's very fascinating, and and I do because they don't have the look of what I would think a traditional Jew would look right. like. Right. You know? Right. They're like okay. But one of the one of the <laughs> reasons that <laughs> one of the reasons that Judaism has been able to survive. Right. Yeah. The only thing I have to go by and the, the ones that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Very few. Well, it's it's definitely, um, yeah, it's definitely interesting because I, I think it does challenge our perceptions of you know, things kind of put me in and mind. and allowing so that, well the 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 continuing by adapting other cultures and other things around them is one of the ways that a lot of the Jewish things have survived. Right. By certain things keeping nature. us apart, but other things making sure that you're okay living with us. <laughs> you, know? you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like Malcolm X when he, I guess I can understand it this way, when, when he was here in America and the Muslims here are, are very prejudiced mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they taught him to be very prejudiced, you know, and say awful things the, the white man, mm -hmm. and then he was programmed, he was programmed to believe in that, and he was like really into it, kind of mm -hmm. like Paul, pursuing, right. pursuing them Christians, because they're not right, you right. Know, just kill them, and I think my, Malcolm X had that same kind of attitude, but he believed very much in his God, and Allah, mm -hmm. and then when he had the chance to go over to what is it, Mecca? Mecca, yeah. 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 And here he is, like, what? You know, I guess you got maybe all dark skin, black people around him, I don't know. And then you see every hue, mm -hmm. from the white of the white to the dark of the dark, all meeting together. And then he knew he had been lied to right. in America. Right. So called Muslims here. Right. And I so, think that that is a very, very much. And that's when he began to change. What we've done, and that's yeah. When had well, it's like still, the idea about tell everybody else. That's right. That's, we don't want them to know. That's right. Well, the idea, and 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 the church has presented this idea of, you know, what is a Jew, and mm -hmm. and 
um, and different groups have presented what is a Jew. And that's why, like I said, I get really frustrated with a lot of messianic writers who are trying to draw these lines and distinctions based on, yes, historical things that happened, but trying to argue for the implications of them being things that I don't see fitting with scripture. And, and it, it's one of those things where let a verse say what it says without trying to make it say something else. Right. You know, saying that this tribe was scattered at this time doesn't mean nobody from that tribe knows who they are. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's two separate things. Right. Being scattered just means being scattered. Right. And, and even of those that were scattered, some stayed behind. So we can't, you know, we can't go in and go, oh, well, they were scattered. That means this and this and this and this and this. And these are all the implications of that. Especially when later we find people from that tribe who still knew they were from that tribe. So we've got to go, okay, maybe scattered doesn't mean, you know, God blinded them and made them forget who they were. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was... And so, so it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a very, the Ethiopian Jews are a very fascinating yeah. study in and of themselves. Yeah, I was watching, it was a documentary, a documentary. Yeah, very cool. They had the, what did you call them, at the Talit? The Talit, yeah. Yeah, with the, the, the string In fact, this, this is a prayer shawl that was made by yeah, Messianic Ethiopian little, believers who uh, are living outside of Israel. Oh, waiting good. to get in. So wow. I actually got this when, when it was one of the things he was selling the, some of the things that they had made in order to mm-hmm. take back and help fund to, their yeah. staying and waiting. And yeah, so mm. I absolutely love it. So. Okay. Well, that clears it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen. Because I think all of these things.